Hello, Hillside. My name is Joel, and I'm one of the summer interns here at Hillside. I'm going to be reading scripture today from Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. May God bless the reading of his word. On on a series in Matthew. A sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus is talking a lot about the kingdom of God, the upside kingdom of God, or the right side up uh, kingdom. Um, Jesus is so committed uh, to forming the interior of our lives, shape us. Uh, this deep work, some of us call it the spiritual formation, is, is a deep work. It's almost our whole lifetime work. And he is the leader. We are the followers. We are his apprentices. Um, this spiritual formation is sometimes is hard because you have to take some stuff off and put some stuff on. Uh, and some of the stuff we feel very strongly about, right? And when it's like that, we want to shrug the things that Jesus says. We want to shrug it off. And I just wonder whether you would pause and wait in that discomfort with Jesus. Um, perhaps we would be like the clay and he would be the potter. Uh, so let me pray before we start. Holy Spirit, come. We open our hearts and our lives to you. Expose what's hidden in our hearts and transform us. Bring us into the light as we consider the way of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to go through uh, verse by verse. The first one is uh, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You know, Devin talked about it last week, two weeks, uh, reframing. Jesus is reframing the Old Testament through him. Uh, Jesus, as you may have already guessed, he is more about the heart, what's going on inside of us, more than the outside, our behavior, the actions that we do. Uh, we talked about, he says, thou shalt not murder, but Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, the root of it, the anger that's in our heart. Thou shall not commit adultery. Jesus expands that, and he's talking about the lust that is lurking in our hearts. So today, he says, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Um, there's three passages in the Old Testament this talks about, Exodus 21, verses 22 to 24, uh, it starts off saying if there is any fighting involved and if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, 
eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And then very similar thing in Leviticus chapter 4, 19 and 20, and Deuteronomy 19. Again, he says, show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Ouch, right? Um, before we get into that, let me ask you, if someone hits you, someone hurts you, what do you want to do? Your immediate response is to strike back. Uh, we, had two, we have two boys. Um, they are 22 months apart. And when they were young, you know, Dervin and I, we wanted to raise our boys well, right? So we didn't watch anything, any violence. You know, all the programs we watched were pretty cool and calm and pretty nice uh, because we wanted to raise nice boys. Wow. They were boys, right? They would take the banana and make it into a weapon. Uh, the Lego that you gave, uh, they would build weapons. And if they got hurt, man, vengeance was in their hearts. Uh, you know, you st stole my Lego, I'm going to destroy your tower that you built with it. Um, so the human tendency is not just towards justice, even though we like to think that. Um, it's not towards justice, but towards revenge and violence, whether you are two or whether you are 92. So here is Jesus quoting, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn. Sounds awful, right? Uh, some of us are offended by that, right? And uh, it seems barbaric, cruel. Um, we want to write this whole thing off. But before you do that, remember, this was written 4,000 years ago. At that time, 4,000 years ago, this was pretty progressive. It's ahead of its time. Um, it's for the court of law, you know, so that justice would happen. So it's not like the Godfather movie, right? You hurt me, I'm going to come and wipe out your family. You know, you hurt my family, I'm going to wipe out your village, right? Um, so when, when we are hurt... Our natural tendency is towards revenge and retaliation. So what does Jesus of Nazareth have to say? Uh, verse 39, he says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Uh, you want to look at that very carefully, and um, the word there, resist, in Greek, is antestinai. I hope I'm saying it right for those of you who are Greek-studying people. Um, that word means engage in revengeful or violent retaliation. Dale Bruner says, do not retaliate revengefully using violence or evil means. Uh, N.T. Wright succinctly puts it, don't use violence to resist evil. So that's what that word means. Because have you noticed revenge feeds on its own energy? Have you felt hurt or mistreated? And the thing that produces inside you, man, you know, sometimes you are mad or angry or upset 
for hours, maybe days. Uh, depending on the mistreatment, it could last for weeks or even months. There is good news. Jesus knows our human condition. And he knows it's towards revenge. He knows we are dust. Jesus also, in this passage, makes injustice part of our normal course of life in this broken world. In this broken world, people are going to hurt us. Jesus also knows the antidote for this revenge. Because I find Jesus' spirituality is so earthy, right? So how do we, as followers of Jesus, respond to injustice, mistreatment, without retaliation? So Jesus gives four examples. We are going to look at that. All these four examples are common in the first century in Jesus' world. Uh, remember, uh, Romans um, were occupying the land, so there were Romans everywhere. They were Jewish, were, Jews were being oppressed. So in this difficult time, in this oppressed time, Jesus wants his followers to think creatively out of the box in these situations. So first example, he says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So if, now immediately our tendency goes towards, you know, it's Jesus is saying if somebody, you know, physically abuses me, I'm supposed to just stand and take, give the other cheek. That's not what Jesus is talking about. If someone slaps you, usually, you know, with their right hand, they are going to slap you on the left cheek. Try it maybe after, after the uh, message. Uh, you would always slap them on the left cheek. If you want to slap, one, slap somebody on the right cheek, that means it has to be a backhanded slap. You go like that. Um, <clears throat> according to the rabbinic law, hitting someone with the back of your hand was twice as insulting as hitting the person with the palm of your hand because it's injuries to the honor. In first century, this usually happened between a master and a servant or um, a man and a woman in that uh, first century women were a property. And so it's usually happened between a superior and an inferior. So there's two options, right? Fight or flight. The first option, flight. You know, you take the slap. Somebody gives you a slap or an insult, you take it. But you take it and you walk away with resentment, anger, and hurt. That's your first option. Second option is to fight back, right? You slap your master back. Probably you'll be put in prison or beaten up so badly you would be killed. But that's your second option. Jesus is offering a third option that is very subversive, creative, and very surprising. He says to them, turn to them the other cheek also. This word turn in Greek is means for you to face them 
eye to eye. You stand there bravely and calmly, reclaim your dignity by looking at this person eye to eye as an equal. Remember, in the kingdom of God, there is no one superior. Rich, poor, master, slave, Greek, slave, uh, Greek or Jew, doesn't matter. <clears throat> All are equal, made in the image of God. So you stand there giving your oppressor, your adversary, a chance to slap you back. So he could. That chance is there. But by standing there, eye to eye, you might expose the pride and superiority of your adversary. You might make him take a second look. You see Jesus doing that, right, in the face of oppression when he was hit. You see that with Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela. They changed nations by not resorting to violence, but doing a subversive, creative option. In our daily lives, we are going to be insulted. We are going to be mistreated. We are going to be wronged. Maybe by our bosses, our co-workers, people you do life with, your neighbors, uh, even your family. What Jesus is saying is don't turn to resentment, bitterness, anger. Don't take the course of revenge. But become creative. Show up with courage and kindness. I don't know whether you have found, I've, I've found, the longer I hold on to retaliation, the idea of it, the more the insult hurts me. I think that's why James says, be slow to become angry. Be slow to take offense. So that's the first example. The second example is in verse 40. If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Again, first century, uh, most Jews wore uh, an inner garment, uh, most of the time translated into shirt. That's the garment that touched your skin. And they would wear an outer garment, uh, which most of the time is translated into coat. The poor usually would have more than one inner garment, and, um, but usually only one outer garment. Man's cloak was usually used as a blanket when he slept. Therefore, in a legal dispute, a creditor could uh, sue a man for his tunic, but not his cloak, his coat. So this is an Old Testament law. Um, uh, in Exodus chapter 22, he says, um, <clears throat> if you take a neighbor's coat as a pledge, return it to him by sunset because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? So usually a man could take your shirt from you if you had pledged it as a security for a loan or, um, and if you hadn't paid it, uh, the debt, he can take it from you. So there's two options when somebody you go to the court of law and he's suing you. 
There's two options again, fight or flight, right? Um, flight is usually you give him the shirt because you don't have a lot of options, but you can do it resentfully. You can do it as a victim of poverty. You go away angry, upset, mad, and bitter, feeling this is unfair. He has many shirts, and he has taken mine too, right? You can, so that's the first option. Second option is to fight back. You know, get another lawyer, and you go after his shirt, his wife's shirt, his kid's shirt, his parent's shirt. So that's the second option. You fight back. But here is Jesus, right? His sub subversive move. Um, he gives a third option. He says, give him your coat also. Okay, now imagine this is a court, right? Jewish court. All these conservative Jews are there in the courtroom. And he says, give him your shirt and your coat also. There you are, standing naked, not as a victim, with your own dignity, with your own volition, knowing who you are, that you are the follower of Jesus, the child of God. You stand there naked. Now imagine that. This is an honor-shame culture, right? Now, there is, your adversary could just come and walk away with your coat also. He has taken your shirt. But remember, the law is you have to return the coat. Jesus knows that. So he says, as you stand there naked, you might shock the courtroom. And you might call out your adversary in public. And you might expose his greed, his oppression, his ruthlessness. And Jesus thinks maybe this might break the chain of evil. So that's the second example. Third example. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Um, again, the background, first century, it was Roman-occupied land. Um, there was op oppression, and there were soldiers everywhere. And if a Roman officer thought, you know what, I need somebody to carry my uh, luggage, my baggage, uh, he, all he has to do is, hey, you, come, carry it, right? And you had to carry it. That was the law. For one mile, you had to carry it. You had no choice. This threat hung over the citizens all the time. Uh, you could be in a festival. You could be in a, at a wedding, enjoying, or an evening with your family, right? Um, having a great time. Or maybe you are working very hard to finish the work so you could go home. But if a Roman comes and says, carry the Lord, you had no choice. You had to go, go for one mile and then return for another mile. So there's two options again. You could carry the load for one mile in silence, with seething anger, bitterness, resentment, walking that whole mile, glaring at the soldier uh, for mistreating you, or maybe even grumbling about the government, right? The Roman Empire. That's your first option. Second option is you might fight back. Uh, you know, if you have been watching the uh, Chosen series, you know, Simon the, the um, 
uh, one of the disciples, he uh, was a Sakari, right? You could hide your dagger in your coat and you could carry it for a little bit, but then when you are away from everyone, you could pull the dagger, stab the guy, and you could run. Uh, that's fight back. So that's your second option. Most likely you'll get caught and put into prison or killed, but you could try that. Again, Jesus is very subversive, surprising solution. He says, he says, don't stop after the mile, but choose to carry on. Choose of your own mind and well with dignity, not as a victim, not as somebody who's being forced to do this. You are an equal. Even though he's the Roman officer, you are equal because both of you are made in the image of God, showing him kindness and grace, maybe even generosity to the soldier for the second mile. Maybe ask this after the second mile, do you have wife or kids? When was the last time you saw them? How does it feel to be a Roman soldier where you are not wanted or treated with disdain. I love what William Barclay says uh, for this one. He says, don't be always be thinking of your own freedom and liberty to do as you like. Be always thinking of duty and privilege to the service of others. You see this playing out in, in Mark chapter 15, this uh, example. I wonder whether Jesus thought of that. Um, Jesus is carrying the cross on, on his way to Calvary, um, and uh, there is the Roman soldier. He called Simon of Cyrene. Simon was with his two sons, probably with his wife as well, uh, celebrating Passover. So he's on the road, uh, in the road to, Jeru uh, in road to Jerusalem and having a good time. And what happens? The Roman says, hey, come over, carry the cross. Now imagine if you were Simon, how you would feel. Maybe the humiliation and the shame of carrying a cross. Because you know who carried a cross? It's the criminals. They were being put to death. Now you are carrying the cross and walking. There are thousands of people. How did Simon feel? Maybe he started off with resentment and bitterness. I wonder whether Jesus looked at him and said, Thank you, Simon. Or maybe he just looked at him in the eye. You know something changed in Simon and uh, Simon became the follower, follower of Jesus because uh, in Romans chapter 16, most theologians think this is, uh, uh, Paul says, greet Rufus whom the Lord picked out to be his very own and also his dear mother who has been a mother to me. Most uh, theologians think this Rufus is Simon's son. I wonder when Simon told that story, he said it as, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own. 
So the last three examples I, we have talked about, you are the one is being mistreated, right? You are the one who's being wronged. And Jesus is asking you to rise above, be meek. Uh, meek is not a weak thing. Uh, it's not being a doormat. Uh, meek is, uh, you know, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, it takes courage and strength to be meek in, in, in the face of opposition. Yeah, think of it like a wild horse with all its power. It's under control of the master. Um, also notice in each of these examples, Jesus talks about the someone. He, Jesus doesn't give like in general, right? If you are slapped or if you are sued, if you are forced to walk. Jesus doesn't. Jesus, if you read it very carefully, if someone slaps you, if someone sues you, if someone forces you to walk. Uh, Bible scholars think this someone is front and center in Jesus' example. Jesus speaks very personally about the one who's oppressing you. He wants you to remember that this someone who's oppressing you is a person. It's a person-centered message. And in all these examples, Jesus gives, he talks about you. The you is a singular you. It's not for a, a group of people. You, as a follower of Christ, a disciple, I want you to do differently. The last example he gives is in verse 42. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Uh, remember, all these three, exa four examples are about injustice. Except this time, you are the adversary. You are the one who is in charge. You are the one with the money. Option one, you just give it to him. You don't care whether that's a this is good for him or not. All you want is to get rid of him and pacify your guilt. Option two, you say, no, I'm not going to give it to him. You are poor because you are lazy. And I am okay. It's because I work very hard. Come on, man. This is Canada. Everyone can work. You tell that to yourself and you harden your heart. Option three, again, subversive. Jesus is always about the heart. You give not to pacify your guilt, but the sake of dignity and kindness. You know why? He says, turn. There's that word again. Tur don't turn away, he says. Turn towards him, eye to eye. Do it because you have a relationship and because God has treated you generously. I think of our relationship with Boro and Seje. Uh, when I say our hillside's relationship with Boro and Seje, we gave out of our relationship, right? We were willing to give $750 for a piece of pie. Because you know why? Our hearts grew. We were transformed by giving. And that's the value of our mission. We give because we are changed. Through our global or local uh, outreaches, we are being transformed. We become more like Jesus.
Jesus' spirituality is subversive, powerful. And he's saying, you have to be different, guys, because you know why? You are the city on the hill. You're not like everyone. I want you to be different. He's always about people, not outward behavior. He doesn't much care about that because he thinks if your heart is right, rest of would, would be turned out okay. So what does this mean for us this Sunday, June 13th, 2021? What does it mean for us? According to sociologists, the past 16 months, the COVID pandemic, with social isolation, we have changed. Sociologists think for the next 10 years, they are going to study how we as a society have changed in the last 16 months. We have changed. Not all the changes have been good. Sociologists are saying we have become polarized about every little thing. Should we wear masks? Shouldn't we wear masks? Should we get vaccine or no vaccine? We are experts. We have become experts on everything now, right? About politics, about church, how to run church. We have become polarized. But what they are saying when they did the study is that we as a people have started thinking about others who think differently than us we, want, we are treating them like enemies, like opponents. We dismiss the people who think differently than us. We treat them like as if though they are ignorant. In this past 16 months, we have been bombarded with fears. The fears are all around us. Am, am I going to still have a job? Um, can I pay my mortgage? Uh, is the school still going to be okay? Is my, are my children going to be okay going through this pandemic? Are they going to uh, go through depressions? Uh, or is, are they going through mental illness? Is my relationships with my children, my, my spouse, is it going to be okay because it's very tense? And what we, they are finding is that in our stress, in our fear, we have turned inward, inward to ourselves. We are trying to find a way to get ourselves out of the situation we are in. But the weight of it is too much for us. We are crumbling un, under the weight of this, this huge burden that we cannot bear. And we have become people who are angry and anxious. As I was praying about this, this topic and uh, where I wanted to go with that, I sensed the Lord turning me. And he gave me a picture. Uh, this is from Exodus 15, where the, the Israelites are walking in the wilderness and uh, they, they are thirsty. For three days, there is no water. And finally, they find water, and the water is bitter. And I was asking, Lord, what does this mean? And I sensed this, the Spirit of God uh, leading me to say this. The hearts of the people have become bitter and resentful and angry. 
if you're not sure whether you have become an angry or bitter person, ask the people closest to you. Maybe pray about it first, uh, because you might not like what they have to say. You might feel very uncomfortable. Some of the signs of a bitter heart is you're always ranting. You're always ranting with people or on social media. You're on grumble sessions. Uh, you're at, the other sign is you're angry at everyone, whether you're driving, whether you're shopping, or you're going for a walk, you are angry. People around you maybe are walking on eggshells because you are bitter and angry. Part of it is you are wounded and you are hurting because the way somebody has treated you. And one of the good signs is your joy is gone. You know your heart is off course. The good news is when Moses cries out to God with the bitter water, God says to him, throw a piece of wood and the water becomes sweet again. Jesus, as followers of him, wants us to live this large life, generous life, abundant life. No matter what life circumstances are, even if you're oppressed, if you want your heart to become sweet, there is only one hope for us. And I sense he wants to heal us. I sense his heart towards us is grand that we might love, live abundant life. And if you feel like, man, I'm that person, I'm struggling, if you feel like you need the Lord to restore your heart, uh, we are going to pray now and uh, would you open your hearts and as a sign of your openness, maybe even open your hands like this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and I'm going to pray. Lord, as a sign of surrender, we, are, we open our hands to you we open our hearts to you. Lord, our lives are scattered and fragmented. We are pulled and pushed. And we have gotten lost somewhere. We have lost our way, Jesus. And our hearts are wounded and broken and bitter. Father, we confess we have tried to fix our own lives, our own world by our own means and forgive us our pride. Father, forgive us. It has all become all about me. We confess. We leave it all at the cross. 
all our burdens, all our bitterness, all our worry and our anxious thoughts, we leave them at the foot of the cross. Set me free, Jesus. Set me free. Only a miracle can turn my bitter heart into a heart that is sweet. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.